we will be getting to Matthew chapter 10. So find your place in Matthew chapter 10. But before I begin, Heinrich's going to come up. Heinrich, one, once a year or so, we, we have uh, the Gideon's mission, the, uh, ministry um, c- come share with us about their ministry. Heinrich, Heinrich, you can come on up. I won't talk that long. If he comes up, then I'm more likely to stop. Uh, I've been on a four-week break up here. and so. But Heinrich is a really good man, dear brother in the Lord from Cross Connection Escondido. Um, he, he serves with Daniel up at the um, uh, Camp Julian Oaks and with, with the Gideon's ministry. And I, I, just over the years, I've been blessed with the Gideon's. Um, earlier this spring, uh, we had the opportunity to go down to Nicaragua. And so Ann and I and our family, we were in a market in uh, Granada, Nicaragua. And going through the little sales booths, we see a, a Nicaraguan woman back in the booth um, plowing through her Gideon's Bible just reading. And so we went up and talked to her. And it was just a blessing of like, oh, I need to get a hold of Heinrichs to have him come up because we got behind schedule. So Heinrichs going to share with us about the ministry that he's connected with. So welcome him here. We're all cloud. I know. So. Yeah. Right now, country 200 is St. Martin in the Caribbean, that's a 
because it saves souls when God uses that in order to preach to somebody and in a time of need. We stand on the promise of God in Isaiah 55, 11, where he says that his word will never return void. It will accomplish what he sends it for, and it will even prosper in doing that. Uh, while back, Dr. David, Dr. David Jeremiah used the example, the testimony of Jack McDonald. He grew up in the military all over the U.S. He became a troublemaker. And uh, he flunked college. Eventually, he started to work at Macy's as a buyer. And the stress of his job, he ground with alcohol. Eventually, he had to even change his name and move from different states and, and change his story in order to escape the police. But uh, he turned himself in in Connecticut, where some guy named Gideon gave him a New Testament. And one morning at 3 a.m. in his cell, reading just with the light of the full moon shining through his window. He actually just discovered the problem, the sin problem, and he confessed and, and accepted the Lord's salvation. He did him like a thunderbolt. Now Jack has for 17 years been president of a computer company and also part of the Colson Prison Fellowship for the last 13 years. So again, God just changing the whole life of people. One of our field representatives was using an example uh, in a church service about the Fort Jackson military base distribution that increased suddenly from 15,000 Bibles a year to 25,000 Bibles a year. And he used that as a motivation for you know, people to donate. But he didn't have an explanation for it. And after the service, one of the people came up that was a commander in the military uh, for that area where they deployed into Iraq. And he told them, look, we go to Iraq and eventually we form some connection with the families over there. And uh, so I told my men, when you guys come out of Iraq and you have that connection with the people and to leave it, Go ahead and leave your service testament behind. Give it to the people. And we know there are believers today in Iraq who are being persecuted. And now suddenly we know where they come from. The Lord has just been faithful using His Word. Please pray for us. Uh, we have our display in the back. Use the cards. They are free. And the Bible's place will honor the Lord. We will watch a video as we finish. Thank you. We're glad to partner with the Gideons, and I'm always so blessed uh, in all different kind of settings when I see those little Bibles stashed in hotel rooms and being in the hospital to find a, when I'm asked to go see somebody in particular that I don't really know, I'm always really encouraged when I see the little white Bible next to their bed. It's like, oh, it gives me something to talk about. And so uh, it is a huge blessing, and so I'm, I'm thankful that Heinrich's here and sharing with us today. Uh, with that, let's pray, and we'll look at Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, we, um, we ask today that as it goes out, that it wouldn't return void. We pray, Father, that you would, um, you would open our hearts, Lord. Um, Father, as we look at the story that was um, set in a particular time, in a particular place, uh, to a particular uh, group of people, Father, we ask um, that you would help us to understand what happened here in context. Father, that you would show us principles and applications that we can take from the text that apply to our life. 
Father, we know that by your spirit, um, you can encourage each person that's here today. Uh, Father, we pray that you would draw us closer to you, Lord, that you would um, set our hearts on fire for you, Father, uh, Lord, that we would desire more of you. Uh, we love you, Lord. We are just grateful for this relationship that we have with you through Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over clean, unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We ask that you'd help us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, to, as, a, as a little bit of an introduction, today we're, uh, kind of last week, we, it was sort of the, the introduction to the transition. Uh, last week, we, we see Jesus sort of looking out amongst Israel and, and seeing that the harvest was, was, was widened to harvest. He had deep compassion for, for the lostness of Israel. Um, he, he shows his disciples the situation, and he says, you know, the harvest is ready, um, the workers are few, seek the Lord, ask the Lord to raise up workers to go out. And so it's from that sort of ending point that we see Jesus calling the 12 apostles, sort of commissioning them and sending them out. Um, <clears throat> the story of Matthew is slowly unfolding. Uh, Matthew s starts, it begins with really the authentication of, of Jesus' lineage, that he has um, the, the family line that fits the, the, the fulfillment of uh, the, the promised Messiah. We see John the Baptist coming on scene, sort of 
preparing the way for the Messiah, announcing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, then Jesus comes on scene with the same message, um, saying, prepare, you know, the, the kingdom is at hand. And he began preaching uh, the kingdom of God. And now, uh, like a boat that's going down the water that has a wake that sort of opens up, now the, 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 the 12 apostles are being commissioned to carry on that same message. Um, this chapter 10 is... Um, uh, is a discourse of Jesus. It's the second of five discourses in the Gospel of Matthew. I, it, uh, I haven't done enough research. There's probably names for the other ones. I know We know the Sermon on the Mount. We spent a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 24, the last discourse, the Olivet Discourse. And then we have discourse number two, discourse number three, discourse number four. Somebody's got to name these things. But I, So I'm going to try to come up with a name. Uh, but but I, I find it kind of funny that there's the bookend of these discourses that everybody really knows. And then there's these discourses sort of in the middle. Uh, discourse is to mean that Jesus is going to give a message. Um, today, in, in many respects, is sort of um, the, the opening, the, the introduction to this. We're going to spend this month and next month going through the discourse. It's going to take us that long to get through chapter 10. I've decided to sort of uh, take uh, each little piece um, and sort of focus on it. Um, there's great tension as as you teach through a particular book in the Bible. We can sort of fly over things, and then when you do that, you sort of, as a pastor, you have sort of like, oh, I wish I would have taken more time, but we're covering a lot of ground. Other times, you, you go, well, let's take shorten it up and focus on the details and kind of really uh, take time to ponder it, and then you do that, and you go, oh, I feel like we're we're losing the big picture, so it's there's tension in knowing where to break it up. So right now I'm going to go for shorter segments and we'll see at the end of, you know, the next eight weeks whether I have remorse for taking my time with it. Um, in November, we're going to take a short break from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, at the end of chapter 10, there's a very natural divide. Um, through the month of November, the four weeks there, I'd like to take time to focus on uh, the, the Bible's teaching on gratitude and thankfulness. I very rarely do this, but I've been just kind of feeling like it'd be good to take a, a, just a short break um, during the month of Thanksgiving to focus on what does the Bible have to say about the believers, um, our heart. Um, and, and there's a lot of instruction. There's, we'll, we'll see that we know that we always struggle for what's the will of God's, in, what's the will of God in my life? And I can tell you that the will of God in your life is to be thankful. There's a Bible verse that supports that. And so we're going to kind of focus a month on, on gratitude and thankfulness, and then we'll get back to Matthew. But here we are. Um, this is a, a, a difficult chapter. Um, there are some dispensational elements. That's a huge word I learned in seminary that I'm not going to really go into. Uh, but there's some aspects to this, the commands of Jesus that are sort of limited or restricted uh, to these guys that we're going to see that they're going to be launched out, but they're forbidden from, from going out beyond the house of Israel. They're, they're restricted. Uh, by the end of Matthew, Jesus says, go into the, all the world. And so something sort of changed. And, and so there are things in here that, that really were specifically said to them. But I think that there's a lot of principles uh, in this passage. And so uh, we'll begin. Uh, verse 1. Verse 1, I think, sets the say, stage, sort of explains what's happening during this 
season of, of ministry, this historical period in Jesus' earthly ministry, we learn that Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Um, so from this, uh, from verse 30, where was it? Seven of the previous chapter. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. He says, there's all sorts of opportunities. There's all sorts of needs. Pray to God. Ask God to raise up workers to meet the needs of, of the people that are hurting all around us. And so from there, he summons the 12. He's going to commission them. He's going to send them out to do various things. Now, verses 2 through 4, we're going to see uh, the list of of 12 guys. We, we could take three months sort of learning about each guy. Some, some of these men, the Bible has a lot to say about. Some of these men, we really have no other knowledge than what's listed in these verses. I, I've decided that I just sort of want to uh, rapid fire through them, make some comments about a few of the guys. Um, the first thing we see is verse 2. Now, the names of the 12 apostles. I want to pause here. This was my luggage this morning. <laughs> I suddenly had this like wave of panic. I don't, I don't want to give bad information. But, I, but this week, the, the fascinating thing to me, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew describes the apostles only once, where he uses the term apostle. And it's right here. For the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, he only refers to them as disciples. So a disciple is one who is a learner, a, a, a studier of a rabbi. Last week, I taught Sunday school to the kids. It was awesome. And this was our big subject, and they, they got it down. Um, I thought I was always afraid of teaching little kids, but the five, those little, like, three-year-olds are awesome because you can have ADHD. You can just sort of, like, like we're talking about being a disciple, and then we see bear tracks on the carpet. It's like, we're, then we're talking about bears, and then we go back to talking about, the, uh, so I want to try that more with you guys. So I, it's really interactive. I, I, uh, but a disciple is one who follows their rabbi. He's, they're a learner. They're a student. But now, Matthew describes them that, they, that Jesus, some, oh, verse 12, sorry, now the names of the 12 apostles. Apostle has a different meaning. Um, in a very generic term, in its simplest form, it means to be sent, like a, an ambassador, to be sent out, a sent one. In today's day and age, we'll, I'll have heartburn when I see uh, spiritual people um, asked or they're speaking on TV or they're speaking at events, and it's like, Apostle Gunnar Hansen is showing up. <laughs> Thanks for that, because it's it's I'm it, In some respect, if I want to use like lowercase a and be really... Well, in some way, I was sent to Valley Center, like I was sent here. But, but I think sometimes it's used in the, like really in the wrong way. The apostles are these 12. They walked with Jesus. They were commissioned by Jesus. They were the founders of the early church. Their significance for Matthew, who his audience is a Jewish audience. The number 12 is meaningful. We don't have the 12 tribes of Israel. And so in many respects, when Jesus commissions these 12, there's a, there's a commissioning of them in leadership over the house of Israel. 
And it, 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 so this is a big deal. When Matthew says here, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. He's showing sort of their apostolic authority. But then through the rest of Matthew, he goes back to disciples, that he's a learner, he's a humble guy. He's not, they're not at all um, arrogant. They're just men, which we'll see. So in this list of names, we know from Mark 6, 7, I believe it is in my notes, we know that in Mark 6, 7, that this group of 12 during this story, they were sent out two by two. So there were six groups of two. Uh, they traveled in teams. It's believed that these uh, guys are, are, are described in the pairs that they were sent out by. So the first, we see Simon, who is called Peter. He's also known as Cephas. There would be three different names for each based on sort of the context, Aramaic, Greek, or Hebrew. Um, so we have Simon, who is called Peter. Whenever the list of the apostles are given, he's always first. He's sort of the first among equals. He is the old guy. He is the man that would lead the church. I love Peter. He's so full of zeal. Uh, he opens his mouth, and then he sort of, what was I thinking? Or, what? or Jesus putting him in his place, constantly making mistakes. Jesus telling them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. Peter says, never, Lord. I will die for you. And Jesus said, well, within 12 hours, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster even closed once. But then everything changes with Peter following the, uh, the resurrection of Christ. It's like th- this man was a changed man. I love Peter. Then we see an Andrew, his brother. Now, Andrew's a fascinating guy. They're paired together. If we were to read the story, you're going to go back to John and sort of uh, look at the stories. It was actually... Andrew, who was a follower of John the Baptist, uh, he listened to the message of John the Baptist. Behold, uh, the Son of God is on his way, this declaration that Christ was coming. Uh, Andrew takes Peter to to meet Jesus. And Peter actually becomes the leader of the church. And Andrew sort of kind of, we don't know, and it's just kind of, the thing that jumps out at me about Andrew is, you have no idea the influence that you'll have in a person's life for Christ. And so here, Andrew brings his brother to meet Jesus, and then he's sort of left in the dust, and then Peter really takes center stage in, in human history for what he's done, uh, obviously through the Lord's hand. So they're paired to get up. They're brother, they're fishermen. They were successful businessmen. It's hard to keep my place in there. Um, and James the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. This is James and John, the two brothers. James, John, and Peter, of the 12, these three were sort of in the inner circle of Jesus. There are many occasions where Jesus would do things. Uh, I think of uh, the transfiguration. Um, I, I think of uh, at Gethsemane, when they, it's as be, right before Jesus is about to be taken into custody, he has the apostles, he He sets them down to pray. Then he takes Peter, James, and John. He moves them closer to him, and he sets them down to pray. Then he goes just a little bit from them, and he begins to pray. So there's these three guys had close proximity to Jesus. Um, James would end up being the first apostle to have his life taken. I believe it's recorded in Acts 12. Um, He's the very first martyr of the apostles. John would be the last to die of natural causes after 
um, a number of attempts to take his life. Uh, he was the youngest of all of the apostles. He's the one that Jesus appointed to take care of his mother after his departure. Uh, he would go on to write the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, uh, the Revelation. Um, so that's John. We see Philip and Bartholomew. Um, now, <clears throat> Bartholomew is also, most, most scholars, everybody believes that Bartholomew is just another name for Nathaniel, that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same guy. Uh, I love the story of Nathaniel. Um, very high marks from Jesus. If we were to go to, I wrote it here down, I, it's not on the screen, but in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 47, in, in that surrounding area, um, Nathaniel comes up to Jesus, sort of, sort of, not necessarily buying into who this Jesus guy is, with a healthy, healthy source of, of skepticism. That's my own word. And uh, Jesus basically says to everybody that Nathaniel, that he's a true Israelite, that there is absolutely no deceit in this man. Talk about power that, that the Messiah, when you walk up, he sees you. He says, this is an Israelite. No deceit in him. I mean, hmm. but he, and you get, you get the impression that Nathaniel's like, what? you don't know me. But he says that. What are you saying? You don't know me. And then Jesus looks at him. He says, you know what? Before you came here, I saw, what, I saw you under the fig tree. And there's all sorts of speculation over, like, what was going on at the fig tree. But whatever it was, Nathaniel recognized suddenly that by Jesus identifying this fig tree, some say, well, maybe he was there praying, confessing sin, maybe calling out for God, but he was alone. But suddenly by Jesus saying, hey, I knew you when you were sitting under that fig tree. That basically, Nathaniel's like, you're the son of God. Like, he knew at that moment that Jesus is the Messiah. And so this is Bartholomew, just a neat guy. Um, now, let me fall over here. I have it broken up easier. Um, then we have Thomas. I mean, he's such a bad rap. It's like your whole life, you have one moment of doubt. And in all reality, his doubt was justified. Like, do people die and raise from the dead? No, like they don't. Like it doesn't happen. And so he has 12 guys. He saw Jesus die. Then, well, 11, well, Judas is gone, so now we're down to 11. So you have 10 guys saying, we saw him. Sure, guys. Well, where is he? <laughs> so he was dead. I saw him dead. I saw him taken down. We buried him. And now you're saying he's come to life. Well... You mean I go to the subway to pick up sandwiches for you boys, and, I, and in that window, he appears. And then we're told it's seven days before another sighting of Jesus happens. And when Thomas sees him, Jesus says, touch the holes in my hand, touch my scars. And Thomas, I believe, I th it was Thomas that, that it said that he was the one that went to India to evangelize India. Um, then we have Matthew, the tax collector, the thing about Matthew, um, this week that's really grabbed my heart, is we're, we're reading the Gospel of Matthew, 
if we were to go to Peter, Peter tells us that the word of God is inspired by the Spirit, that, the, that, that God, this is God's word, breathed to us. But his Spirit <clears throat> uses man. Uh, certain men along the way, God is, has inspired to write the word of God. Um, but we're reading the words of Matthew in this gospel. This man, Matthew the tax collector, isn't just some guy. This is a guy who spent all sorts of time with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He loved Jesus. It's not, a second, it's not like a secondhand account. He, he's writing to his Jewish people about this Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, whom he walked with, whom he was called um, out of his business to follow after him, whom he would give his life for and testifying about his Messiahship. We're reading his words. And it just struck me in a new way this week that, that the words we're reading are, are, are written by one of Jesus' very best buddies. I mean, really, Jesus had 12 good buddies. And we're reading their, one of their words accounting for who he was. That's pretty reliable information, and it's, it's beautiful that God has preserved his word like this. Okay, well, I've got to stick to this list. I have it broken up right. Okay, Matthew, the tax of James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. I don't have much to say about those guys. Simon, the zealot. Some would say that this, the zealots would come along later. So a lot of times we, we, we'll lump Simon, the zealot, with the zealots, but as best as I can tell, the zealots that we think of today um, they're not necessarily, they didn't, a lot of, like, I, I see, they, they didn't really, some say it was eighty sixty eight where they came, but there was another group of zealots. But simply by this title, zealot, zealot means that you were, like, fanatical, that you stood for Israel, you defended Israel. I think of guys, like, where, where, where John the Baptist came from, down in uh, uh, Qumran area, that they were isolationists, they, they, they were nationalistic, they hated Rome. I heard one guy describe his Navy SEALs. I'm like, hey, easy, buddy. He went on to suggest that he, he found it funny that Simon the Zealot and Matthew could work together, that, that Simon the Zealot would be likely to stab Matthew if given the opportunity in his life. And now here these two guys are, are following the same Lord. These, this is an eclectic bunch. And then the man who's listed last in every single list Judas Iscariot, Iscariot would have been, it's believed that it's a town that he was from, the one who betrayed him. And so what kind of men were these? There's absolutely nothing special about these men. No seminary degrees, um, blue-collar, hard-working men. Um, Acts 4.13, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Jerusalem was in an upheaval. They'd been in arrest. They'd been beaten. In Acts 14, 13, or 4.13, as they kind of step out and we get the commentary of, of the scribes and Pharisees describing who these men's, men are, uh, they're described by the men who were, were trying to persecute them. They're described as being uneducated and untrained. That was the establishment, how they described them. But then there was a little but in their statement. But it was clear that they had spent time with Jesus. It, it, to me, it's a beautiful picture of, 
Um, the eclecticness of people that God uses. He uses all people. And a church, like I wouldn't, before conversion, I wouldn't hang out with like 90% of you guys. Maybe none of you, I don't know. But the reality is none of you would probably hung out with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yet God pulls us all together like a family, and every family has Uncle Joe, who's the crazy, like, like it's not about us, it's about him. And he pulls these people together, they're united around Christ, and it's amazing how God used these people. Uh, the thing that gripped me here is, uh, we see Jesus early on, they're going out in pairs, they were not sent out individually, there's, there, there's, there's wisdom. Uh, following Christ is not a is not an individual sport. It really is a team sport. God's called us to be in community with one another. Uh, When when we send people out, like the extreme case is probably because we watched the video about the Philippines and Dina's sitting right here in front of me. But when we send a team out to our missionaries to go encourage them, I would never just send one person. I would send a team of two or three people because there's something that happens in that dynamic of, of, of going to a place of serving, of accountability and encouragement and, and, and strengthening. But also small enough to where each person is sort of forced to, to go out on their own. I think back to my evangelism class that he, where the teacher made the mistake is he sent us out individually. So I did laps around the mall for half the night before I even engaged with anybody because I'm like... I was so terrified. That's, street evangelism is not my calling. Um, God bless those who are. Whenever I see the people with signs saying Jesus loves you, I always say, God bless you guys. Like, I'm praying for you, but I'm going to go on my way. <laughs> okay, pairing, that's what we're talking about. Okay, so we have the 12. Then we come to verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out after instructing them. So we have this, Jesus sent them out. It sounds like that it happened. But, but, the, but the rest of this chapter 10, I, I have the impression that Matthew's saying they were sent out. But then he's coming back to before they were sent out. And, and I, I get the impression that these 12 are sort of huddled up in Jesus like a coach before they're going to take the field. He's going to give them some hard, challenging words. Why I wanted to slow down and and in a number of weeks, I think we're going to do like four weeks where communion's available because uh, I, I feel that it's, it's one of these where we as followers of Christ need to be challenged. And something about communion is this sort of where we identify with his death, burial, and re- resurrection. We're, we're reminded of, of the foundation. And so today we're just sort of looking at the very beginning. But his sermon, his discourse to them, he's going to be challenging them. Um, really sort of like, are you guys in this? It makes me think of Paul, who is different from the other apostles. Paul himself is an apostle. But if you'll go with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, now Paul is different. The reason I say Paul is different is when, when he was sort of a hand-picked sort of I don't know how you describe Paul. Paul is unique. Paul, Paul is just sort of in God's sovereignty and his wisdom and his power. Um, they have the 12 apostles. 
Judas is gone. The apostles feel like there still needed to be 12, so they selected one in the beginning of Acts. And then, and then so then Paul sort of shows up. So there's, so there's 12, 13, possibly as in history, like 14 original apostles. Um, but, but, but Paul is different because what we said about being untrained, unqualified, Paul is totally on the other end of, of the spectrum. If this was modern day, he would have multiple PhDs from, from every seminary, uh, honorary degrees from whoever, could, would, whoever, whoever he would allow them to give to him. He, he was the man, super smart, super wealthy, knew the Old Testament, and God says, I'm going to use you to reach the Gentiles. He's a genius on God's part. I mean, God's brilliant. What better guy to incorporate the Gentiles with the Jews than the, the Jew that has the credentials that could trump any other Jewish person? And why I'm here. Okay, I'm a little off track. We're back to the discourse. Of, we're back to Jesus' discourse, this challenge that's coming. I think of the words of Paul in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when Paul, as he's writing his final letter, his last will and testament, his life is going to end any moment. These are his final words to his young protege, Timothy. And he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Verse three and four, this is where I'm, I really sense Jesus's discourse. Paul says to him, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And going back to Matthew chapter 10, this discourse I see is Jesus is the commanding officer to his men, giving him them their marching orders. This is a challenge. This is, this is a challenge that they ultimately are going to give their lives for, that these men hearing, they will be executed for standing with Christ. And John, he survived. He died of natural causes at the end of his life. But that was after failed execution. And the superstition of the failed execution got him exiled. And so Jesus is going to challenge them. I love that Jesus does, never makes it sound easy. But I don't believe that any of these guys are being forced into service. I think these guys, when Jesus said, come, follow me, they dropped everything and ran after him because he, they knew who he was. And so here in verse 5 we read, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, do not go the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is when I mentioned the whole, there's a dispensational sort of element. Dispensation is just a really, I think it's an old-fashioned word really, is, is really what it is. Um, but what I see is that, that throughout the scriptures, as God's speaking, while God never changes, uh, um, there's unfolding revelation, there's, there's unfolding commands and instructions. And, and so here to the apostles... They're given this very limited instruction that the people that they are to reach are the lost sheep of Israel. Um, he, he forbids them from going 
to the Samaritans or to the Gentiles, uh, which in the giving of this would also be a geographical restriction to them. The, the Gentiles would have been to the north of them. The Samaritans would have been to the south. And so this command would have limited their, their ministry operation uh, to the Galilee region, which you know, goes all the way to Nazareth there. It's not just the lake. It's the whole region of Galilee because that's where the Jews uh, were. Um, I think back to my evangelism class. This is, I shouldn't do this. I'm reading into the text. <laughs> like, if this was me, I'd be like, okay, Jesus, we have three weeks. Okay, I'm going to walk all the way down to the Dead Sea, get there and say, hey, guys, Jesus is here. Okay, I'm done. I'm out of time. i got to get back. <laughs> Spend all my time walking to the destination to avoid the actual. I don't know if that's, I don't think that's the case here, but there is sort of this limiting. There is sort of uh, to the Jew. Throughout the whole gospel, we see this of first important to reach the Jew. Uh, Romans 1.16 uh, it says to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Now, why is this? Well, the whole Old Testament, all of the promises, everything uh, were, were to the Jewish people that he came to his own, but his own rejected him. And then there's this sort of this going out, certainly by the time of Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. Things were different. Things had changed. Go into all na- nations. I think of um, Luke 22:36, which we'll get to. It's, it's the night in which Jesus is betrayed. He's going to look at them and he's going to say, hey, guys, boys, you remember, you remember when I sent you out two by two and I told you to take nothing? You guys remember that? And they said, yeah, yeah, we lacked, we lacked nothing. But Jesus says, but now things are different. Things are different. Uh, if, if you don't have a sword, you need to acquire a sword. Um, if, you, if you don't have a jacket, acquire a jacket. Like, he, he gives them different instructions, so things changed. I think that the, that the reason for this restriction is Jesus understands the unfolding of things that were to come. Um, the Jews needed the gospel. The Jews had this promise. The day of the Lord was here. The, uh, the, the kingdom of God had arrived. Their Messiah was here. There, there's all sort of speculation on things that I can't answer. I'm just a man like... Some would suggest that if Israel and I and I don't, I'm not saying I disagree with him. I I just I'm not God. I don't know. I, I, but had Israel received Jesus as their Messiah in obedience, the whole history of things up to where we are today suggests would have changed. But he was rejected. So it's I'm not God. Only God can answer that question. I, I I'm just a man. But he's training these guys to, to take over. And maybe this is a, a training short trip mission. I don't know. But we do know that he instructed them. He limited them. This mission that they're to go to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They're to reach their people. It makes me think of any um, missions agency. Those that want to go to the mission field. Uh, when we interviewed with SIM. A lot of the questions that we were asked dealt with how do you do ministry in your current setting? There's a lot of people who think, well, I don't interact with anybody that I'm around, and if I just move to the other side of the world, then I'm going to start engaging with people. And if you can't engage with people of your own culture and your own language and you're not 
able to be a light, then the odds of you being able to go cross-culturally to a people that you're totally different from, that you don't speak the same language, statistics kind of show that it's probably not. And so they want to see, like, you need to, you need to be able to engage and reach your own people before you start going out cross-culturally. So that could be something. I, I don't know. But we know that as they're sent out, that's exclusively Jewish. They're to the Jewish people. They're limited to the Galilee region. In verse 7, we see their mission. And he said, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very same message that John the Baptist preached, the same message that Jesus was preaching, and now Jesus is commissioning them to that very same message. Their message was not up for them to decide. The message for us as a church is not for us to decide. I've heard people say, well, the church is the only organization that, that, it, that lives to, to, to do what those that aren't a part of it sort of dictate. And that's so wrong. Those that don't believe, those who are not a part of the Christian family, those who haven't received Christ... They're not the ones that tell the church what to think and do. Our commission comes from the Lord. We've been commissioned to share the good news, the gospel, that Jesus died according to the scriptures for your sin, that he was buried, that he rose three days later, that he, asc- that he appeared to all of these people and that he ascended, and that he did this so that we might have life. That's our message, our mess- and, and especially in this next year. Folks, we don't exist. Our mission is not politics. Our mission is not entertainment, laughter, self-help, or how you can improve yourselves. Our, our mission, the statement that the Lord gave us was to go out and to preach all nations that Jesus died for our sins, that we might come into fellowship with him. That's our mission. It's the gospel. They were to go out and do sideshows get big crowds and have concerts. and So he gives them the content of their message. And then he says in verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Um, this is one of those things that sort of, in, in Christian circles, can kind of, there's, there's a term between, um, you know, people that are labeled like, oh, you're a cessationist. It's like, God, don't, like, that's, Meaning that, that God's still not moving. The, the people will lump on people, oh, you're a cessationist. Who believe that these signs and things were done for a specific purpose. I totally believe that God is still in the business of, of healing people, forgiving people, um, not, not so much raising people from the dead. I, I'm more of a skeptic person. Those who have like come close to death and then come back, I just feel like they didn't die. And they just like... Still God's hand. Like, I mean, I still think it's the, the fact that we live at all is a miracle to me. Um, but they were commissioned to go out to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This was their specific task. Now, the church, we can participate in medical aid and various things. It's all because we're demonstrating the love of Christ. But Jesus, when asked, or I should say, well, asked in Matthew chapter 11, Verse um, 2 through 6, after these guys are sent out, uh, chapter 11 sort of changes gears. 
Then we get word that John the Baptist has now been arrested. John the Baptist is sitting in prison, eventually going to get his head cut off. He's having his doubts, which I love. Yet we don't know him as doubting John the uh, Baptist. He's John the Baptist, the crazy nut that ate uh, honey and locusts and challenged people for their sin. But he's sitting in prison and he's starting to have questions. Is Jesus really who I think? Is is this all for real? Look at verse 2 of chapter 11. Now when John, while in prison, heard the works of Christ, sent words by his disciples and said to him, that's Jesus, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? That's kind of, that's a man who's kind of wrestling through things. And look what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. He quotes from the Old Testament, the blind receive sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to him. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak about basically how great a guy that John the Baptist was. So when Jesus is asked by John's disciples about his Messiahship, is he indeed the Christ? He points them to tell John about these people who were healed, who had been raised from the dead, all the, uh, the cleansing of the lepers, the, the, the casting out of the demons, that the gospel, the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus says all of these things were signs to authenticate that he indeed was the Messiah. And so I'm not going to like, God heals people, but, but the healing and stuff that we see here, this was to authenticate the Messiah, powerful stuff. And so they were sent out to do that. Then he says, freely you received, freely give. As they went out, as they were doing this mission, they were not to be a, a sideshow where they were to charge people entrance for these things. Come and we'll heal you. But your faith is going to demonstrate that you give me all your money before I do it. That, that, that's not what was happening. He says, you freely received the good news. You've freely been received uh, forgiveness you're to go out and to do this do likewise um you know church is a free thing i've heard about people that have been hesitant to come to church on easter you know the one the, the twice a year where they're allowed to come to church or not allowed but that's when they will come but they've been hesitant to come because their budget was low and they didn't have money to give and so they didn't come because they thought that there was an expectation which the offering, this is something for those of us who are committed to Christ, that like this is our church that we give to contribute. It's, it's done freely. I don't, like, it's not a requirement. Where this went off, there's a story about Charles Spurgeon. Um, Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher way back when he, thousands upon, like before mega churches were even around, he's, he, just a genius of a man. And he was packing churches all across um, Europe uh, during his day. At the same time, there was a man by the name of uh, P.T. Barnum in the United States who was, a, who was a, he owned circuses. And so he sort of had it in his mind that he and Spurgeon were sort of the same type of people. They 
filled large venues. The people paid. Lots of money was made in doing so. And so he'd heard about this man in England who was filling up churches, and he had sent a wire to Spurgeon with a large figure of money for him to come to the United States and to do a tour through his circuses because he wanted to make money off of Spurgeon. Spurgeon sent a wire back to him with these words. Read Acts 8.20. And that's all he wrote. And Acts 8.20 says this. Thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. Spurgeon was genius and hilarious. That was his wire back. And see, he understood that this man was trying to profit from the gospel. And that's not what Spurgeon was about. Now we keep reading in verse 9. And he says, Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belt or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or staff. They're not, they're not, they're not to acquire items. The, the thought is that they're to trust God for their provision as they go out. And Jesus says, for the worker is worthy of his support. So he's, he's telling them, don't charge. You receive freely, give freely. But as you go, don't build up like a big nest egg to go. Trust me to care for you because support will come in. And the support may not be coming from the people that you're ministering to, that other supporters will be contributing to your needs so that you can minister freely. Paul makes this case, I never took a dime from you, but I... But, but, but I even he worked, that he had supporters that gave and contributed. And so this is like the interesting thing of the ministry, like leaving the, the military after many years. I mean, the military was all I knew for a job, other than the paper route and working at the movie theaters, which didn't really count because, well, I don't want to go into that here. We're short on time. But, but so coming to a place like, like, uh, like my paycheck, comes from a church where like you guys you guys give and we have people on staff but our salary comes because people give freely it's a it's a humbling thing there are times when it's like the idea of like man doing something where i like like made bread or drove the ups truck you know where i just had boxes to unload and i got paid for that and it was like where there where you could see how um but he encourages them. He's like, you're, you're ministering to people for free, and, and there'll be provision for you. As I've been thinking about this, a, a thought I had um, that I sort of want to, I don't know, pitch to you guys. Um, so on Monday, the Nichols, they came up to our house. Michael shared two weeks ago. And um, so, somehow the conversation began, and I, you know, I may have put my, I don't know, it's like I say things, it's like, what am I thinking? And then people are like, oh, that's just the spirit leading. I'm like, I think sometimes it's my, like, I'm just an idiot, and I say stuff, I don't know. But so I'm talking to Michael, and somehow he brings up Israel. And he says, I've never been to Israel, and I'd really like to go. And he didn't even realize that we were leading a trip in the spring. I said, hmm, we're, like, leading a trip in the spring. He's like, yeah, there's just no way we, I can, like, afford it. And I'm like, are you serious? Would you be interested in going? He said, yeah, in a heartbeat, Kelly would kill me. She was supposed to go back in 2001, but then the whole 9-11 thing happened and the whole trip was canceled. And he's like, but I'm like dead serious. I, I would go. Like I, and so I said, well, let me pray about this, but maybe like I could raise some support for you guys. Like, and so, so the thought is, like, last time when we went to Israel, like, people were short, and we, like, the church gave and contributed to help meet the needs of a few people. 
And I just want to throw that out. If you guys are interested in maybe helping Michael Nichols get to Israel um, on our trip, um, you can give towards that. Just write Israel or Michael or something on there. And, and uh, this is one of those things that it, it's just like this studying this week, talking with Michael. But the idea they're out there in Africa getting like brucellosis and all this stuff. And he's at my house Monday night. I'm like, didn't you have malaria? He's like, oh, malaria is no big deal. He's like, I'll take malaria over the flu any day of the week. And I'm like, oh, really? You're like, He's like, yeah, it's no big deal. You just like, your joints start hurting really bad. And then you start like, he's like, then you just take the pills and you're good. I'm like, oh, awesome. Okay, I'm not afraid of getting malaria anymore. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Like, bring, up, bring it on, malaria. <laughs> I guess it's not that big of a deal. But I'm like, going, you're nuts. <laughs> like, this is, and so it would be a way for us, you, you know, if, um, you know, something to pray about. I, I'd like to help get him to, to Israel to be a blessing to him. Um, okay, where are we? Uh, we're definitely, we're towards the end here. He goes on to say, verse 11 through 15, I've kind of lumped as one. In verses 11 through 15, it says, in whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace but if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out to that house or that city, shake off the dust of your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land um, of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. So, so what I see here, just really short, I mean, basically they're to go out to various cities in this region, to the, to the lost sheep of Israel. Um, I see this sort of... Um, passive approach it doesn't sound like they're really jerks to the people it's kind of like they go out and if they're received then give a blessing to those people stay with them uh, give them your blessing now if you're not receiving the kick you got basically shake the dust off your feet and go away this is sort of like a, a cleansing okay you don't want any part of this and you don't you're not going to have any part of it go where the lord leads you go where people welcome you don't you don't have to be a jerk and force yourself on the people um it's funny, as I see this, I'm, I'm, I remembered a story, or not a story, I, I remembered sort of moving to Valley Center. Um, and I don't, we moved here in August of 2007. We were commuting from La Mesa from May to August. We found a place to stay in August. And so I want to say it was by the next summer this group had, had come to visit. So maybe in the, the wintertime, we've been here like three or four months. And um, this group from Cincinnati came out, and I remember the pastor, I kind of drove them around Valley Center, I'm like, okay, these are all the casinos, this is like the north side, this is kind of the lay of the land, and I knew like two people I'd met in Valley Center, maybe a little more than two people. But the, the, the one place I took to him is right across the street from Papa Bear, there's a trailer park there, and there's like 10 trailers it's a darker area in Valley Center, and I knew two people there. And so I took them into this trailer park, and I hung out with the two people. I, I introduced them all the people I knew in that area. And then I took them over to the Hideaway Lake. And I said, well, this is George and Evie Farrington, and these are the people I know over here. And he looked at me, he's like, well, do you know any, like, he said, do you know any, like, real people in the community? I said, no, I know this trailer park and that park over here, and they're who have welcomed me at this point. And so I'm just wherever the, they've opened up their houses. And, and uh, it sort of reminded me of that. I shared that with Anna. And Anna's like, yeah, her mom's cracking up at her. Because today, Anna is not, our backgrounds are as polarized as can be. 
But Anna's developed this like friendship with a bunch of cops, like female cops. And her mom's like, how are you ministering to cops? She's like, I don't know. They come over to my house. I feed them dinner. I talk with them about the Lord. And we've like, it's just, it's receptive. And, I, and it's beautiful. Like, who are the people in your network of people? See, God hasn't called me everywhere in Valley Center. Like, but maybe you have friends up in Palma Valley in the country club, and maybe you have friends at Papa Bears, and maybe you have friends on the reservation. Maybe you have friends in the school district. Maybe you have friends in your place of environment. That's where God has called you to be a light for him. And it's beautiful. It took me like 10 years of living for Christ to realize that God hasn't called me to be other people. I'm free to be Gunner and, and to, to be used by him it's taken a while to get comfortable in my own skin because I thought that being a Christian looked like somebody else. It's, it's a wrestle I match I had. And so as I look at this, the so what of this so far, um, this passage is going to continue uh, going down to verse 16. He's going to look at them and he's going to say, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents, innocent as serpents. As, yeah, serpents. I thought I said Sherpas is what I said. And innocent as doves. So the intensity is going to build. And so when I look at this passage, as I reflect on this passage, it's been hard because the so what question, what does this apply to us? The beauty of this is that we have a God that has so much compassion for us. If you know Jesus, it's because God has been kind and merciful and compassionate to you. And that he went through great lengths. Like I don't even know what God went through to reach me, all of the various people. And I know that for each of you, if you are a believer in Christ, there is a whole story that you probably don't even know of how God was working behind the scenes and different people, people who are praying for you, people who are terrified to invite you to church or to, to share with you about Jesus. But all of these things were happening so that you might believe, and it's a beautiful picture of who our Savior is. He wants you to be in relationship with him. And as we've been called into his relationship, as we have this love relationship with him, we're not called to be on the sidelines, that, that he's called us to participate in this mission of his, of reaching out to the lost. It's a beauty that I'm not quite sure that I even understand. Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand. How can the creator of the universe desire to use me, a total mess up, which you guys laughed at and agreed with me, that he would use me to participate with him. And it's true for all of you. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord. I, I just thank you for the story. I thank you for these 12 men who were really nobodies. They weren't qualified. They weren't trained. They were fishermen. They were despised tax collectors. They were zealots. They were guys that we don't even, we don't historically even know who they were. And yet you used them. You called them. You saved them. And so, Father, we thank you for the great compassion that you have for us. We thank you for your love. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, uh, who know you, that you would help us to navigate this life. Lord, it seems that we live in times where... Um, as we look at next week, Lord, this, this call to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, Lord, is, is as true as ever. 
Lord, we need wisdom living in this world. We need wisdom and um, following you. We need wisdom and knowing how to, to navigate this culture in which we live that seems to be changing so rapidly. Father, we pray for those who don't know you. We pray for the kids in this church, um, Lord, that are exposed to the gospel with this really week in, week out, day by day. Lord, we pray that they would not build up an inoculation to the gospel, that they would have clarity of who Christ is, that they would make their choice to follow after you. We pray for those who are here who are adults, who are still grappling with the gospel and who Christ is and what are the implications. And so, Father, we pray that you would um, help connect the dots for them. Lord, we thank you that you save us by grace, but that you've also called us in to participate. And so, Father, as we follow after you, I pray that you would lead us, Lord. Help us to be um, learners. Help us uh, to see um, where we could be used by you. Uh, and I believe that it most likely it's right under our noses, something that we don't even see. Lord, give us courage. Uh, help us um, to truly be a light uh, to those around us. We love you, Father. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.